I'm Tony Gargan and welcome to the Presenting, Pitching and Public Speaking podcast. Hi, I'm Tony Gargan and welcome to the Presenting, Pitching and Public Speaking podcast. In this episode, I interview resident host and compere of the world-famous Hot Water Comedy Club, Paul Smith, who is currently on tour with one of the biggest selling comedy tours within the UK this year. In this interview, he shares candidly how he went from being pretty much unknown within the comedy world to having over 170,000 followers on Facebook and everything in between. So thank you very much for doing this interview with us today. Obviously, you're doing your tour right now, your IMA tour. Yes. Part of the through that, you're obviously still hosting Compa, a comedy club, Hot World Comedy Club. Yep. Opening a new one in the not-too-distant future. Next week. So how is life for you then? Um, very good at the minute. Very, very good. A little bit surreal, if I'm honest. Yeah. It's gone a, it's gone a bit stratospheric in the last year. So, um, social, we, we, we caught a wave of social media, so... That's one of my questions on this. So one of the things <laughs> I wanted to ask is you're quite prolific on social media, over 5,000 on Twitter, over 160,000 on Facebook. Yeah. Do you attribute a lot of your kind of current fame and success to that? Yes. I am. Um, yeah, because I don't even tweet. I don't know how, I don't know why people <laughs> follow me on Twitter, to be honest. I never tweet anything. I tweeted one tweet today because I got me, I got me DVD on Amazon Prime. So I put that on Twitter, but I think that's the first thing. I, I'm, I tend to use Instagram. Yeah. I say it. 14,000 on Instagram, I think. Uh, Facebook's the main one, though. Totally and utterly blowing out of the water. Facebook, video, Facebook videos. Facebook videos. So, did you... The question I want to know is, did you always want to be a comedian? Kind of. No. When did you find out you were funny? Um, <laughs> oh, six months ago. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been doing this? Like, um, been I've been doing this for 12 years, and in answer to your first question... I didn't want. I I always loved comedy. I I got I got into doing comedy because I used to go to Raw Hard Comedy Club uh, and watch people like Chris Cairns and uh, David and Bren Riley and people like that. Uh, and I just loved going there. And then I was a graphic designer at the time, and I was sat in work one day. I was quite shy. I was on this I was on this path of self improvement. I was trying to better myself. I was going to the gym and. Doing that also trying to make it else. <laughs> <laughs> and I always, I, I always struggled with kind of, I, I was, I was always the the thing, the biggest flaw I think I had was I was a bit shy. I was always, I was comfortable speaking to people if I knew them, but I was a bit shy and kind of when I first met people, I, th- I think I still probably am. Um, so I thought I'll do stand up because this, I, I was sat in work and this email came through the the normal promo emails that you would get through from a comedy club all the time, but it was like. Do you ever, did you ever want to try stand-up? Do you think you're funny? Um, and I was joking and work going, I could do that. And they were like, you could, you're not funny. And I was like, <laughs> I am funny. And I just got this BME bonnet about it and thought, I will go and do this comedy it. course. It was a four-week comedy course. You paid like 90 quid for it, if I remember rightly. Uh, December 2006, 2005, 2005, yeah. December 2005 it was. Uh yeah, I was taught by Chris Cairns and a woman called Steph Davis uh, at, at the Royal Court Theatre. So I did that and re- re- really only wanted to do it once. I didn't even want to do it once. <laughs> once I got into it, I was like, what are you doing? And I remember my mum going, you're an idiot. And I was like, and I got to the, the first show, was this, it was 300 people at the Royal Court Theatre. And I was like, oh God. Um, but it's, it's really difficult to explain. As soon as I walked onto the stage, it just became... Had something else. I became a different person, and it just came to life. And the best ten minutes of my life. Total baptism of fire. Then yes. three hundred people. Three hundred people, which is now, yeah. I think 
I mean, you'll probably know, you spoke to people. Yeah, 300 people is easier than three. Definitely. <laughs> 300 seeing those faces for the first time doing something. You can't see them, done. which is... Yeah, that's a bonus. <laughs> yeah. You can feel them, though. I've got, I'm have got. i a firm believer... We'll go into that later. But I'm a firm believer in the fact that we've got some, cause, so, some sort of subconscious communication. You can feel people. You can feel people in the room. Um, so, yeah, I did that gig. Went better than I expected. Then it's a very addictive thing to do. Um, so just carried on, carried on from there. So when you carried on from there, doing a kind of around, because you said you were a graphic designer, it was around your job, were you just doing kind of... <laughs> That's, yeah, well, kind of. Weirdly, three months later, I got made redundant, and being the idiot that I am, because at the time, I was I was a cocky 23-year-old boy, and I was like, ah, and all the gigs had gone well up to that point, and I was like, I'll just be a professional comedian then. Right. And so I lived off my credit card for like a year, Got into a lot of debt. <laughs> Did not become a professional comedian. How difficult was it knowing that you were kind of so far into it, you'd kind of lived off your credit card, you'd already taken the opportunity to do it full-time while you were made redundant. In those tough times, how hard was it to push through and carry on? It oh, well, very hard because I stopped. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you did stop. Did you I had a bit of a... I think it was a good... Looking back, in retrospect, it was a good thing. Um, I got about a year in. I got really lucky, well, lucky and unlucky, because I got I got an opportunity to be on the BBC and get followed around by a BBC documentary team who were making this TV show about, uh, they were making a string of TV shows, it was part of, part of age, age awareness or something, um, and it was about whether it was easier, easier for old people to, like, stay in work or young people were coming in and taking all the jobs, it was something along those lines, and so it was called Granddad's Back in Business. Um, I shouldn't have said the name of that because people now go and Google it and see me. <laughs> totally going to do that. Dying on my ass. Uh, yeah, so I went and did this. I went and it was the, it was to get there was a big chain of comedy clubs at the time called Jonglers. I don't know if you remember yep. them. Um, and it was to get a job off them, a contract from them, which was the goal. It was the holy grail at the time. It was like they, they weren't the best comedy clubs in the world, um, but I didn't know that. I'd been only been going a year, and getting in there meant you were a professional comedian. You could get you could, you could make. A good living doing that every week. You'd be away every weekend. They paid hotels, they paid your food. It was just showbiz life to me. I was like, that's incredible. So I went and did this thing. I had this camera crew following me around for four weeks, which was quite surreal and made me a little bit uncomfortable. Um, and yeah, it just didn't go the way I wanted it to go. And I just, up to that point, everything had been going perfectly. And I was yeah. like, this is going to, I'm, I'm, this, I'm definitely going to be the best comedian in the world. Um, and then when, once that happened, I was like, it just, I, I had to stumble about my confidence was rocked a little bit. I started to change my image a little bit. I got an agent and she was putting me into gigs that I wasn't ready for, which wasn't her fault. She just took me on and I was like, oh yeah, I can do this. But like, he, he died. I was like, oh, I don't think I'm ready for this. I didn't have the material for it. It takes a long time to become a good comedian and a lot of people rush. Yeah. And I think that was the mistake I made. I was like, I wanted it too quickly. And I wasn't ready for the opportunities I got. And it, it cost me more in the end. Really? So I just stopped for like a year. So you took a whole year out? Yeah. Were you still writing material during that no, time? No, I had no intention of ever come, ever doing it again. To it. So how did you get back into it? Um, <laughs> I had a bit of a... I was going through a bit of a bad time. I got a job that was kind of good. But it was, uh, I, I enjoyed it a little bit, but it wasn't really me. I hate working in offices yeah. and stuff. But it was stable and it was fine. And then um, just kind of, I realized one day I didn't want to do that. Didn't know what I wanted to do. And uh, I 
I stopped and I just thought I'm I'm just gonna just gonna take it back to basics. So I had a little bit of money, so I thought I'll, I'll take this back to basics and I'll just just start to go in the gym every day. And then I was just trying to think, figure out what I wanted to do. And the gym I was going to is right by a place a good friend of mine called Phil Chapman lives. So I bumped into him one day and he was like, "Where have you been?" And I was like, oh, "I'm not doing it anymore." And he was like, "You can't stop." So he he got his phone up and made me phone Hot Water Comedy, which had just started. It was an open mic comedy night. Um, which open mic means it's free you just no one, no one gets paid you just come down I think it was like three quid to get in on a Sunday night in a nightclub called Envy yep. and I was like alright alright he made me phone him up I phoned him up and booked in I had no intention of doing it uh, and it came down about three weeks later and I'd forgot to cancel it and I was at a barbecue and it pinged up on my phone like a reminder and I was like oh god I've got to do this gig and I'd had a couple of cans and I was a bit drunk <laughs> and my mate said come and do the gig and I was like, ah, and he was like, come on, it'll be a laugh. Like, you haven't done it for ages, come and do it. Like, what, what have you got to lose? So I was like, okay. So we went, we rocked down shorts. <laughs> like, ah, half I'm, cut. Yeah, <laughs> half cut, awful. And then we went in, a couple of the open mics recognised me. So they were like, oh, he used to be, he used to, like, he was off this telly thing. And he used to, so put him on last, he, assuming I was, like, pretty good. So he put me on last. Um, to compare the ad at, that night, well, he wasn't doing the best job. He wasn't. Nice and nice lad, but wasn't wasn't a compare. Yeah. It wasn't good with the crowd, which I'd done a little bit of. Um, wasn't natural to me though. Uh, so I, got, I get on, and I used to start with this whole thing about being ginger because it was just easy. Uh, so, but I forgot it. it was a whole reel of ginger skits, and I went to go into it, and I just couldn't remember it. So I, all I could do is talk to the crowd. So we did that, and it just worked. Just lucky, just a, one of those like fate. I don't know what what you would call it, but it was just a lucky thing that happened. Um, and I came off stage and I spoke, got speaking to the guys who run it, Paul, uh, who runs it, Paul Blair. And he was like, I said, I wouldn't mind doing some hosting because I just got the bug back. Yeah. Because it was just, it was fun and there was no pressure on it, which I think was what I didn't enjoy. And so I, I kind of, yeah, he uh, said, okay, you can, we've got four more booked in here. You can host one of those. And then so I was like, okay. So I just kept coming down the next week. And the next time a guy didn't turn up, so I hosted that one. Then the next week, uh, something went really wrong I won't go into it because it was an <laughs> awful situation something went really wrong and the guy the guy who owned Envy had seen me so he was like get up and f- fix this so I got up and then I, I kind of saved that gig and, I'm totally um, intrigued by that one now oh, what happened <laughs> <laughs> what happened was <laughs> I, I, it's, it's going to be really hard to describe, to, to describe in audio but there was a, an act who wasn't very good who was a prop comedian right. old guy wasn't very good and it was Father's Day and um, the guy who owned it was ex doorman security guy, and he brought all his security guy friends down. And this is necessary for the purpose of the story. <laughs> the whole front row was these giant black guys who were security guards, lovely guys, all enjoying the show. But this guy who was on stage wasn't good, so they'd zoned out of what he was doing. And this guy makes a joke where he, I, I can't for the life remember the joke, which is why I didn't want to tell the story. But the somehow he made a play on words and then the punchline of the joke was BMP and he opened his jacket and he had a BMP he had a badge with BMP but he hadn't listened to the joke so they just stood up and went mate you need to go now oh, God. but he didn't acknowledge that it was happening so he just stood there frozen and just looked at the ceiling and just carried on doing a set and they were like mate you need to go and someone had to walk onto the stage and walk him up before these guys killed him oh my God. so they were like 
So this guy's going, you need to go on and fix this now. So I had to go on and go. No pressure. Yeah, and, and just start taking the piss out of them all in like a light-hearted way, which calmed it all down. I don't know. I think it was just adrenaline that got me through that because I was like, if I say something wrong here, I'm going to die. Um, <laughs> no pressure So I just all. I took the piss out of the guy on, on, who'd, who'd been on the stage, which is, I mean, it's not a very nice thing to do as a comedian, but sometimes you it's just got salvage to. salvage the situation. Yeah, for the sake of the gig, you got to salvage it. So I did that, and then that's just, yeah, it, it was me and a guy called Adam Stoughton. We kind of saved the gig. He's a very good comedian also, a very good Scouse comedian. Um, then I came back the next week, and I hosted, and he was just like, you might as well just carry on. So that, I, I did. And you I just, just totally fell I had, into it. No, I just, yeah, it was lovely. I, just, I keep my hand in, and I don't, I've got no real interest in being on TV anymore. And it was so freeing, because I was like, it's, it's a weird thing that's happened to me. And it's quite a weird thing in the comedy industry. It's quite a... It's, a lot of people think it's quite funny because I'm the least ambitious comedian in the world yeah, and I've had this kind that. of astronomical rise this year and I've got a, like a huge tour and Do you think that's a part of it though? Possibly. Your tour's pretty much sold out. You've had an additional date and, you know. Yeah. Um, and there's a massive demand. There are people from, if you, if you follow you on social media in any format, you see people from all over the UK and beyond saying, oh, I'm going to make the effort. And I've been a number of different times to, to your gigs. And there's people who literally travel. They, they're they not staying over. They're going home that night. They come yeah. solely to see you. So there's a couple there's a couple of different things in there. Because one of the things you mentioned earlier on was you don't know whether it was fate. Do you believe in things like that, whereby, you know, you happen to get made redundant three months into starting in comedy and it was like, that was the push that you needed? Um... A comedian died on stage and had to go in and salvage yeah. it and someone didn't I don't know if I would call it fate I don't know I, I, I've thought about this a lot and I, I can't I'm undecided whether I'm I'm a, I'm a determinist or not um, I think it's a, it's a possibility I mean there's a lot of coincidences there yeah. that are massive coincidences and you would think like if one of those if one of those slight things didn't happen, but I suppose everybody and then I think I suppose everybody's life like that, and it's just some coincidences lead you on a good path, some don't, or it seems like it's a bad path, and then you end up somewhere good. We take a little bit more notice of it when yeah. it's something quite big. Yeah, it could be something like that. So you've just mentioned you're not the most ambitious. However, what you're achieving right now is, as you say, you've had this astronomical rise. You know, yeah. everybody in Liverpool and beyond knows who you are and what you're doing and one of the things that you mentioned on there is you just stood up on stage you hadn't kind of prepared anything and it was just a case of talking to the audience because you'd forgotten what you were going to say yeah so there's a couple of questions I wouldn't recommend that by the way (laughs) yeah it's not the standard no no (laughs) I'm not saying that's a good plan for anyone planning to do stand up and or any kind of public speaking it's worked all right for you so far there's a couple of questions I've got off the back of that so one being how do you kind of create your content? Because you are renowned for spending time just talking to the audience. And, yeah. You know. I do. I, I never write anything. So I haven't written stand-up for a long time. I don't, I, I, it doesn't work for me. Um, I I do have material, though. Um, I do. The, I mean, I've just I, the hour-long special I've just got on Amazon Prime today, that is, that's all material. Um, and it's very loose material. Because the, the the way I think is best to, the the way I think is best to describe it is we all kind of do stand up from time to time because what you'll do is is like let's say you go on a date or you go to a business meeting anyone you meet that is new or any kind of small talk that you have to make you'll you've got stories that you tell and those stories stock things, stock things and those stories have been exaggerated you know that everyone like 
you've exaggerated them from science to the point where that exaggeration has become more real than the reality. It's so true. Um, and that's all stand-up is really because there's stories in my set which I'll talk about. Like there's, I don't want to, but like, let's, for example, there's one in the old show that I had at the last show, which is, uh, which is about me going to a gym and going to this guy and he made me do this horrible high-intensity <laughs> training workout. Um, and I went and I just, I got up and did it that night because I was like, this is a ridiculous thing happened to me today. And it's like such a stupid thing. He made me keep getting on a treadmill, running for 200 meters, then getting off and doing some exercise and then jumping back while it was going. I was like, that's not safe. So I was really like hyped up about it. But like, then it, as normal stories do, like you'll tell someone something, the funny thing happens kind of in the middle. Yeah. There's no punchline to it, no punchlines in real life. So then you've got to kind of exaggerate that and think, okay, I've done this this night and it's tailed off, which is fine. Like, I'm good enough to work my way out of that, but yeah. then it's not ideal. So then you, next time you think, okay, well, that, once you hit a point of tension with the crowd, again, this goes back to what I was saying before, but you're being able to feel, you get genuine feedback, even when you can't see them, which there's some subconscious communication yeah. there. You can feel tension. You can feel, you can feel if they're, if you're like, you can feel if they're attentive, you can feel them slipping away. You can yeah. feel parts of the room slipping away the more you do it. Um, so you'll know to direct your, direct yeah. yourself towards them. Um, and when you kind of get to that, you, once you feel that point of tension, especially when you're doing comedy, you know to say, you, you just say something, you will say whatever is funny, whatever they aren't expecting in that yeah. situation, you'll kind of say that. So the, like that, that story became me falling off a treadmill and it's just built and built and built from there. Um, and it just became one of the best bits that I had. Yeah. Um, don't know if you've seen them. Haven't been the other side of the that you're sitting there in the audience literally crying and laughing because Have you seen that way? Yeah. yeah. And it's also a big part of what you do is you act it out as well. Yeah. So one of the things that I think you're awesome at doing is you will say something without saying something. Yeah. So even if anyone's not seen you live, you can see it even when you're watching you interacting with the crowd on like YouTube videos and stuff, you'll just raise an eyebrow or you'll give it a kind of a glare in their direction and it speaks volumes and a lot of your humour. It's just, it just seems really, really natural. And that's one of the reasons I asked to do you kind of prepare your content. Because if not, loads of people. So we obviously talk about pitching and presenting and public speaking. And people say, yeah. well, human, is it, is it kind of a, you're a born funny person? Do you believe anyone is born a naturally funny person? I think, think so, but I don't think, I think there's different types of humour. And I think, I think a lot of people who are funny in life aren't funny on stage. And I'm not, you get me in a group of people, I'm not the funniest person by a long like in my my group of friends, I'm not the funniest person by a long shot. Um, I think it's a it's a different it's a different thing. It it takes some kind of mental illness to be <laughs> to put yourself out there and do it. First of all, yeah, some kind of weird need for love and narcissist, <laughs> some melting pot <laughs> needs to happen, and you need to be because it's I not think... a it's not a nice thing for a lot of people to do. Like some people really like would hate doing what I yeah. do. But I would hate doing what they, they do. do. It's bizarre, isn't yeah. it? But that, I'm completely in agreement with it. I think everyone who stands on any kind of stage, like the the, the idea of standing up and doing comedy fills me with dread. <laughs> However, standing up on stage and talking about something I know about, I'll do that to hundreds of thousand people comfortably. Yeah. But I do firmly believe that everyone of us has got that kind of that little thing inside of us and it is the person who wants to be liked or you know, yeah. a void that you're trying to fill. So do you think there is a particular, where do you think that stems from in you? What's the thing that you... you um, I don't know, to be honest. I mean... It's turned into a therapy session. Yeah, I know. I'm really enjoying it. It's saving me money. Um, I don't know. Cause I've got, I mean, I've got a sibling who has no, has no desire to be in any kind of limelight at all. And he's 
like quite well adjusted. He's <laughs> quite well adjusted. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what has made me want to do it. I've always had that kind of. I think the thing that makes you good at stand up, and I think what it might be is that a lot of people can be funny, but they're scared of looking stupid. Yeah, can't be scared of looking stupid. There's some people who just aren't scared of looking stupid or looking ridiculous. And if the situation is correct, I'm not. I'm not saying I never get embarrassed by things because yeah. obviously I do. Some things are embarrassing, but. Um, I tend to, I have a weird reaction to embarrassment where, whereby I'll just kind of just go, okay, well, that's You just brush it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's happened. Let's move on. It's obviously people are laughing. So let's just, you could either really shy away from this or own it. Um, and I think that's, I think a lot of stand-ups have that. That's, that's one thing I've so noticed. that ability to just brush everything yeah, off. Yeah, because you've got to be willing to look a bit daft because... Yeah. A lot of people only see, if you only see stand-up on the TV and stuff, that is a very, very polished version yeah. of what stand-up is. Um, if You've obviously watched a lot of live stand-up, so yeah. you've seen it go right and you've seen it go very wrong. When it goes very wrong, it's not nice, no, but you, you can't, can't let it kill you. You've got no. to just go, okay, what happened there? So much respect for people who can do that, and that's always, I think that's most people's biggest fear, isn't it? You know, the, what if I stand up there and yeah. it just doesn't go to It becomes weirdly nice, you know? Really? Do you think that's an ability to turn the crowd around and use that kind of what you say? Because one thing that you're really good at is you'll stand and you will notice that you'll talk to one side of the crowd. No one ever gets left out. Yeah. But you might turn completely to one other side. Is that because of the vibe you're getting or you feel like there maybe something's going on and they've not they're not bought in or they're not Yeah. I, I'm I'm aware that the, as you said before, you can feel you can totally feel the room. You yeah. can feel it, it's like an organism, you become part of it. Um like an instrument, basically, and you just need to kind of, obviously, you need Actually. to keep, yeah, it's like spinning plates, isn't it? You need to make sure everybody is engaged, which is why it takes a little, when you go into a different room, I'm, I'm really used to that room as well, yeah. but, so I'm kind of, I'm, I'm very in tune with the room that I play because I play it like 10 shows a week, most weeks. Yeah. So I can really feel the differences in the room and I can, I think my brain's really tuned. I, I'm not saying I'm doing it consciously because that would be, Giving myself too much credit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, are, you must be doing it consciously. I think it's, I don't no, think I many think people it's... could stand in that room, even if they've done it themselves a few times. Yeah. It does seem like there's an innate ability to just read a room. I, I think, think that's it is innate. I don't yeah. think I do it on a conscious level. I think my brain does it. My brain does a lot of things for me. <laughs> I think my brain writes a lot of me stuff for me. I'm surprised half the time when I'm saying half these things. I, just, I think why well, I laugh at myself so much. Um, which I've been criticised. Which I actually think is one of the funniest things because it's like you've surprised yourself. Yeah, yeah. And it's like that was actually Sometimes funny. Sometimes I go like, where did that come from? Yeah, that's it's quite the thing. Where did that come from? So that it, it proves that obviously nothing's kind of written and it's that polished stand-up where you say you know you can yeah. see the same comedian four times and the jokes are exactly the same. Yeah, that's never I mean, the same with you. If, if you come and see the tour show twice, you'll see a lot of the same stories. Yeah. It won't be told in the same way, exactly. but you'll see the same stories and you'll know where it's going. Um, I'll lead it to the same point. I don't want to like. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be like. I don't want to start naming comedians. Go on, throw people bitch. under a bus. Um, <laughs> well, no, like because there's comedians like Ross Noble who is an excellent comedian and is very good. At, I mean, supreme at crowd work. But you see, if you see Ross Noble a, a few times in the same tour, you'll see a lot of you the same bits and. Yeah. You can't, I'm not slagging them off for that. That's just a necessity because one thing about it is I, I, some people get a little bit disappointed. It's very, very few, but some people get disappointed because if they come and do do a set or do do a bit of material, um, they go, oh, well, I've heard that story before. But it's like, 
Yeah, because what's that? I have to have material sometimes yeah, because sometimes the crowd aren't very good. Um, and I can't make John from accounts any more interesting than John from accounts is. Do you know what I mean? And there's only so many people I can see and so many people can bounce off. And you only get so many shots at it before yeah. you've got to do something else because you can't go, ah, oh, yeah, what do you do? Oh, John from accounts. Okay. I, oh, oh, Sheila, who works in HR, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And you can get something out of it. But if they're not really giving you anything back and they don't want, really want to be part of it, you get three or four of them before you go, okay, I'm going to have to come out and do yeah. something. I'm going to have to get a laugh here to keep the crowd going. And then I can try again, but... So that'll be where you kind of move to your stock things that you've got, all the stories that have happened. Because a lot of what yeah. you do is around kind of your own life or yeah. things that have happened. Yeah, I, I mean, I never use stock. I never use, but but I would use things that have happened in my life. So yeah. I'll try and find something. So, I mean, it's a bit of a magic trick, to be honest, because you, you just use something leading. Like, so, like, I, I, if I want to talk about my kids, I would just say, oh, I, uh, you'll find a couple. Yeah. 20s to 30s and go, oh, how long you been together they say anything over five years there's a good chance they're gonna have kids and then you get to where you need to be yeah um, so you can kind of weave your way into yeah it looks natural everyone's said happy um yeah and you can kind of get you can i can talk about my two-year-old for a bit then yeah um which i enjoy doing as well so it's one of the things that i wanted to ask because obviously you talk about things that happen in your own life you talk about you know your children your other half how because obviously what you're doing is you, you might be there six you just said you might do 10 shows a week back to back yeah how easy is it to to kind of do the two things together because people will see you on stage and it's like oh it's only you know an hour set or two hours three yeah. hours but obviously especially when you were kind of or when you are now gigging and touring you're away quite a lot how do you manage the two things how do you fit um, it's them? not that bad i mean as comedy goes i'm blessed to be honest because i don't travel i mean when i when i used to do when i was when I was doing, because I, I did do junglers and stuff for a bit, and I, when I was traveling around doing shows, I wasn't very, I, the novelty of that wears off pretty quickly. Yeah. That's not really the type of bit. Some people thrive on it and love it. Um, I mean, me, Adam Rowe, he's yeah. just, he could sleep on the floor. He, he'll <laughs> just sleep anyway. He just drops and falls asleep. He's just a, a born, he should be in a circus or something. Um, and kind he's, when you're he's, he's, he's young, you? yeah, but he's young and he's, hungry and he's just he's ready to for any opportunity and he's just always about he's a very very good act if you haven't seen him check him out um i'm not that way though i'm very homely so like i'm really blessed the fact that i got this as a residency and it's yeah. kind of grown around me um and i've been able to kind of it's gone from one show to two shows to three shows to now 10 shows a week and i, I live 20 minutes away like i can leave i can put the kids in bed most nights come here and get home before they even notice that i'm gone um, and then get up with them in the morning, take them to school, yeah. and I've got all day with the baby, and it's just that I've got a really, I'm quite lucky. Yeah, I've got a really nice, nice balance, it's nice life. There. Yeah, but it's not easy when you've got to do, you know, you've got things going on at home, and you've got to come here. That, how do you deal with that? If because obviously your job is to be funny, oh, everyone yeah. expects it. So I've got two questions off the back of that. One, okay. how do you deal with it when you've got stuff going on in your life that maybe isn't that easy to deal with, or you, you know, you've got shit going on and. You've got to come into work and you've got to be the funny what? person. Making your emotional state clear. Yeah, like just, yeah, parking everything in your life and um, getting into state. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit of a believer in pacing and leading kind of right. with music. So I think, I think a lot of people make the mistake of either trying to game face it and go, okay, well, I'm in a bad mood here and need to be in a good mood. So yep. just tell yourself you're in a good mood or trying to golden thread it or some stupid <laughs> shit. And I mean, it might work for some people, but it doesn't work. Tell them what you really feel. Um, 
But I, the thing that I find works for me is if I'm feeling like down or angry, I'll find the music that matches where I feel now yeah. and kind of within four or five songs lead it to where I need to be. And I find that's very useful. Really? Um, yeah. It's one of your ways of kind of getting yeah, so, And I'll do it in the drive on the way in. Yeah. And then by the time I get it, I'm normally ready. Also, though, I think um, just being on stage, the kind of... There's a really interesting guy. I forget his name now. He's got a really hard to pronounce name. So, but it'd be easy to find if you want to Google him. He does TED Talks on a thing called the flow state. Right. Um, and what it is, is he says that your brain is only capable of understanding a certain amount of information at once. So, I mean, we've all been in this kind of trans-focused state. Yeah. But your brain's only, it's like 120 bits per second or something, which is like two conversations, which is why you're in, when you're in a pub, there'll be a hundred conversations going on around you and we're able to still talk to yeah. each other without a whole getting drowned, like, just completely like overwhelmed. becoming overwhelming. Yeah. Um, so your brain's really good at doing that. But when you're on stage, it requires that much focus. It's just a singular, it's the only real time that you're ever kind of truly in the moment because yeah. although you, you, you lose your sense of self and everything, everything goes out the window. It, it's got. I mean, actors and stuff talk about it. It's called Doctor Stage. You, you you don't you stop feeling pain. You stop needing the wee. You stop all of that stuff. Like just goes. Your whole, most of your bodily functions just stop. You <laughs> stop feeling it because you just you just so singularly okay, focused on this one thing, and then you come off stage. Like I've gone on really sick before, like flu sick, and just thought, okay, I've got a show to do. I'm going to get through this show. Got on, done the show, being totally fine. You wouldn't have known. Um, and then come off and be like, just dying really after function. it because yeah, because the adrenaline dumps out and stuff. Think the adrenaline's a big part of yeah. that. So, what if you then have you feeling like that? You get yourself insane because there's a couple of things that you say in there, and you mentioned kind of actors and because oh, it is a, is it a, it's an art form, isn't it? Yeah. it is without a shadow of doubt. So, as a performer, do you have a set routine? So you've mentioned kind of setting your mood up with the music so if you're feeling yeah. low you'll kind of build it up to get you into the high do you have a set routine before you go on stage um no not particularly i have a stupid superstition about and i'm not even religious but i ask god for the strength to make these people laugh and i've always done it and it makes no sense because i've done that and died and i've done that and done well but i don't feel comfortable until i've done it but I keep, I, i've got a couple of weird affectations like that like if i see a magpie i just ruined my day no, I don't <laughs> believe that that works. <laughs> What's your belief? <laughs> well, I, and I don't even believe in the whole, it's a stupid thing. I shouldn't be saying this out loud. Um, <laughs> this is what makes you funny. It's a stupid thing. I, one magpie is bad and two magpies are good. And if I see one magpie, I'm like, that's ruined my day. I'm going to have a terrible day. Do you look and for if, another one? Yeah. But then at what point, if you see another one, then at what point, what gap does it have to be? Well, that's two ones <laughs> instead of two. Is it really weird that I'm totally on board with yeah. this? I will look for another magpie. Because it was I was taught the little rule of one for sorrow, two yeah, for joy. Two for well, where is the second and three one? for the girl and four for the boy. They makes just don't nonsense. count. Yeah, they just don't yeah. count. However, nonsense. that's a really good point that I've not thought of. What's the time frame that's acceptable? Do you yeah. make it whatever is acceptable for you? Yeah. Depends on how you're feeling. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've got to be a little bit weird to stand yeah, on the stage. Exactly. So I'm going to ask a couple more different questions and then I'm going to finish with a quick fire round if that's all right. Quick fire. All right with that. I'm, not, I'm not going there yet, hang fire. Okay. So obviously you've mentioned and it is very apparent that you have a Scouse accent. Mm. Do you ever feel like that's been something that's been a blessing to you and helped you within comedy or held you back? Were you ever fearful about it? Um, probably both. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people find it 
it's a warm accent and it allows me to get away with things yeah. like let's I, I don't know let's say someone with maybe a Belfast Belfast accent wouldn't be able to get away with because their accent's a little bit more aggressive um but on the other hand it makes me a little bit difficult to understand so I mean I get people in America watching me a message in Australia and stuff like that but then some people some Americans do come here and I can see I know they're American before they speak <laughs> because they're going like they've got this like like just confused look Rachel on the face look. yeah like <laughs> i am really trying to follow what you're saying but it makes absolutely no sense to me at all and i find it amusing to when i start to speed up um <laughs> a lot of a lot of scouse acts who do travel like if, if you go and gig in london or so a lot of people a lot of scouse acts who do travel to london you will slow down uh like john bishop kind of yeah, slow down yeah more. just um yeah elocute it a little bit better but so you think it's been a blessing in some respects yeah that? i don't think i think it's disingenuous to kind of try and phase your accent out completely and i think obviously all accents have strengths and weaknesses i think the geordie accent again is a very warm one yeah and is like kind of it makes it it adds the elements I know we have the stereotype of Scousers being thieves and stuff, but I don't find that's the case. I find that if you speak to someone in a warm Scouse accent, they tend to find you more friendly and yeah. and kind of... It, 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 people seem to trust you and yeah. want want to hear what you've got to say. It's like it's um, a really old stereotype, yeah, but actually... I, yeah, and I can go on and call a girl a slag. And totally get away and with it. To- and they're just like, yo, you cheeky get. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you can't necessarily do that with some accents. No, no, no. So... Dealing with the audience, what happens in terms of what if you were to do that and they were to retaliate? How do you deal with hecklers? Um, I think the best way to deal with hecklers is in a, if you ever think you're a, I, there's a lot of thing in comedy about status and obviously you've got to be a, as a compare especially you've got to have an authority over the room because you've got to give the rules and you've got to keep them in check. But if you're gonna go out and have banter with the crowd. Chris Gaines actually told me this, and again, I've got to, I've got to use the worst possible swear word because <laughs> I, I would hate to paraphrase Chris Gaines. But he said the best advice he gave me on hecklers: if you're going to treat them like a, let them be a first, um, because a lot of new acts go out and because you, especially when you know the room's a bit rowdy, you're going, oh god, this is going to be really difficult, and you can see them and you see good acts going on before, and they're going, oh, and they come off and go, that was tough, that. And you're like, oh shit, this is gonna be so, it's gonna be so bad, it's gonna be so bad. And you walk on, like I remember seeing a guy, a young act doing it from Wales, and he was before the gig, he looked like he was gonna have a fight. He was shadow boxing and stuff, and I was like, mate, you need to calm down. And he walked on, and a girl just coughed, and he went, the fuck did you say? And he just went at this girl, and she just coughed. I mean, she just cleared it. She was like, and he's like, what the fuck did you say? Fucking trying to do me materially, and he just kicked off on this girl, and the whole room just went flat, just flat, and that's the worst thing that can possibly happen. Um, I think the best thing that you can possibly do, if you're gonna have banter, and if they say something funny, they said something funny. Don't try and beat it. Just go with it. Face bump them. Do something because like they've said something funny. There's no point. It's it. The whole the point of you being there is for, for the room to be laughing. If the room are laughing, you're still doing your job properly. Um, it doesn't. You don't have to win everything. I think is the main thing. If someone's being a bit of a prick, 
it's not that hard to beat them. Yeah. It's really not that difficult. That is when a lot of people think that's going to be like, oh, and someone's going to come and go, yeah, but you're shit. And you're going to go, oh my God, I haven't got anything to say. Maybe I am shit and your self-esteem's going to fall out. <laughs> but it's, it just won't. Because the thing is, you're in the room and most of the time you're going to be doing fine. And it'll just be a prick and it won't be anything really about you. It'll yeah. just be having a bad day or whatever. And it's just, or he's just, yeah, he's had too much to drink or he's a bit of a knob. <laughs> um, and you just go, shut up, you knobhead. Or something, just I'm something. Just it's the simplest little, because the audience hate them and they want you to yeah. win. So everybody in the room, it's like. They're on your side. It's like, you probably won't know about this, but it's, it's some, some boys will, boys will relate. Um, <laughs> if it, Ever been taken the piss out of by the stupid gang in school? Yes. Yeah. Well, everyone <laughs> the probably people has. shouldn't be the people. Yeah. Take and you know what, when you come back with a really witty comeback and they don't laugh and then they, and then they say something completely stupid and they're all pissing themselves. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. Like. That's a good analogy. It's yeah, so true. it really is because <laughs> it doesn't have to be like it's it's who. Whoever whoever's framed the most strongly in the situation, whoever the whoever the group wants to see succeed will succeed. And you've got a mic, and you've got all the onus, you've got all the power in the room. They have to do something special, yeah. and you have to be doing really badly and to have done something. You have to be dying on your ass yeah. to get a heckle that is going to hurt. Have you um, ever been heckled and it has hurt, or have you ever? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> do, you, do we not want to talk about that one? Yeah, nah, we'll talk have... about it. Fine. How do you kind of come back from that if you feel like you've lost the you audience? Can't. What do you do? Get off the stage. Really? <laughs> no. What if you're um, like five minutes? The only time I heckle, I mean, again, if someone's nobody's ever heckled me going, you shit or you're, you're like something horrible, nobody's ever managed to do that and win. It just won't happen. It'll get uncomfortable and a little bit confrontational. Yeah. And that's when security seems yeah. to step in. There's no winning that. No one's good enough to win that. No. Um, as like seeing Bill Bear and stuff after they just go, listen, you're being a prick, you need to go. Because yeah. like, it's just, it's, if someone's going to be confrontational, it's going to create too much tension for yeah. you to dispel it's with the joke. And that's, comedy's impossible in that situation. It's a lot of context, so. Um, you just have to pull rank at that point. Yeah, the worst, as I said, the only time you can really get damaged by a heckle is if you're already doing badly. Right. And the only time you can ever really do badly is if you acknowledge that you're doing badly enough for them to start pitying you. Pity is much. Pity is the worst emotion you can get from a crowd. Hate is much better than pity because you can always win hate back. You can win hate back and you can get a laugh from hate. Yeah. Um. They can begrudgingly laugh and go, "Ah, he's a prick," but that was funny. Yeah. Um. But if he feels sorry for you, that is you. You're done. You're just Painful. done. Yeah. There's nothing you can do. And the worst heckle I ever got was at a gong show. Um, just, a gong show is basically what new acts do and you, you get a certain amount of time and some people in the audience get chosen as judges right um, and if you're not doing well the judges put the cards or whatever indicator they have up and you get took off the stage basically it's a very mess in any way to do yeah. comedy um, I don't particularly enjoy it we tried a couple of years but I just never I, I don't like not, not, I don't like hosting them it's not some, some places do it quite yeah. well but yeah it's not for me um, but I was at this gong show and I wasn't doing well and uh, the whole crowd was just just went silent because I was just kind of just started stumbling over my words, and I was just like, I was very new, and I was like, and then a little old woman, in the darkness, just went, "Ah, oh, someone help him!" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Oh!" And I never met that woman, and I hope she hears this somehow because 
Yeah, I, I wake up sometimes thinking about that. Yeah, cold sweats. Oh, it was, it was an awful feeling. It was like a dagger to the heart because it was so, it meant in such a lovely way. But there's no amount of someone going, your shit is worse than someone going, having to go, really, someone who likes you, yeah. going, you need to. Who really wants you to succeed. Yeah, yeah and you but can't. You it's like can't, when your parents tell you yeah. they're disappointed in you. Yeah, exactly. Rather than be angry at Yeah, you. yeah, it's that. It's exactly that, yeah. And that was when you were kind of quite new. That's when I was How'd you get back on the horse? Just got to. I mean, again, it's still it's not it's not that bad. Um, it's not it's not so bad that you think I'm never ever doing that again. You just think, oh, what the fuck happened there? And you kind, I think at the time, you, yeah, yeah, you, your self image needs to kind of blame the crowd a little bit and stuff. I think that's not always you. It's sometimes the room. Yeah, and yeah, I think that is true to an extent. It's yes. a it's a lot of the room. Um. Maybe not the people in the room, not. but the room definitely because if things are like you'll you'll probably know yourself. You've turned up. A, sometimes I'll turn up. I'll get booked for things, and I'll turn up, and there will be the whole place will be like lit like a airport terminal. Everyone will be facing the wrong way, and there'll be like a karaoke machine with a <laughs> child's mic on it, and they go, "I'll oh, just make everyone laugh," and you go, "Yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Absolutely no way I can make these laugh in here." And they go, oh, yeah, but you're, what do you mean you're dead funny? And you go, yeah, but I'm funny in a room where, which is set up. Everyone's, yeah. everything's dark. The focal point is on me. Context has to be that this guy is going to be funny now. And you're like, that's what you all need to, that's what you're all here for. It's all built up. It's built up at music and stuff like that. There's a lot that goes into comedy that people don't realize. It's yeah. a very psychological thing. So do you have anything to do with that? Because obviously there's... Like some comedians will have like a set walk on music or you'll play certain music to G the crowd up before it starts or to calm them down when it's time to sit down. So how much kind of input do you have as the hosting company? Um, A a little bit. I I mean, I always pick the music that I have for me on tour shows and stuff like that. I have a little bit. I mean, I don't think it's like, it doesn't have to be like, it just has to be something with energy and things like that. Um. And the music that they're sitting there listening to has to be at a certain level. And so it's not so loud that they can't talk, but it's not so quiet that um, they don't talk enough. Yeah. Like they need to be, they need to be speaking at an audible level to, to generate that atmosphere. There has to be a good chatter before that. Yeah. I always think. Um, so you have some burden on that just to kind of, so yeah. I, if you felt that the room wasn't quite there, you'd kind of go out and make them hire the musical or you yeah. set the tone. So yeah. that's part of your routine as well. Yeah. Yeah. When you're getting ready to go on stage, do you, because obviously you said it's been nerve-wracking in the past, do you still get nervous? Yes. Really? Um, yeah, every single gig. Um, some more so than others. I mean, and it used to be like a day before it, and now it's like half an hour before it. The big tour show gigs, because I wasn't used to anything of that kind of size, um, I was getting a little bit nervous for. Um, I tend to pace, I tend to breathe, um, and I tend to, uh, like, I'll, I'll, I'll just... I've got fixations with my fingers, so I'll tap my fingers together and stuff like that. Um, and I'll just pace up and down and I'll just, yeah. So they things to calm you and just kind of get um, you ready? It's more just, it, it's more so I feel ready because it's more to keep the energy up. Yeah. Um, so I feel ready. It's, I, I kind of do treat it like, almost like a fight at that point. Yeah. Um, so you want to be ready. You want to keep yourself sharp. So I, I make sure I'm breathing and I'm, I'm just yeah. I'm ready to go. I'm sitting in the mirror and you're bouncing yeah, down yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah. So you're getting your energy like, going. You can't see if you listen to this, but I'm... <laughs> Shadow boxing in the room. So, a couple of things. Best piece of advice you've been given in regards to, in fact, twofold. Best piece of advice ever you've been given in general. Best piece of advice in regards to stand up comedy or performing on stage. 
Ooh, that's a difficult question, isn't it? Best people, best piece of advice about comedy. Um, this is called, and I don't know how true this is. This is called. This is, it, it's become a a, a well known thing in comedy, and it's called Millikan's Rule. And I don't know if Sarah Millikan came up with it, but it's definitely that's what the legend says. Um, which is, in order to be a healthy comedian, you can't beat yourself up about a bad gig after 9pm the next morning, and 9am the next morning, and you can't congratulate yourself if it's a good gig after 9am the next morning. You set time frame to let that yeah, move land. just to let, yeah, I like it as well, and it's quite a healthy way of doing it. Difficult, because yeah. it's hard to kind of, like if you come into the big biggest gig of your life and you die on your ass, yeah. it's hard to just at 9am the next day go, yeah, well, it's done. Yeah, uh, let's move on. Uh, but yeah, it's, yeah, I think that's good, good advice to try and stick to if you can stick to it. Um, Best life advice? No idea. Eat kale, probably. Eat kale? <laughs> yeah. I'm on a, I'm on a, yeah, I'm on a kale rich diet at the minute. Proving that you're doing as you're told. <laughs> in which case, then, alternatively, what's the worst piece of advice you've been given? Again, it can be life advice or it can be in comedy. Um, worst piece of advice I have ever been given? Uh don't know. Like, many people really give you advice. Probably it's just let you die or succeed. Yeah. Probably, probably become an accountant when I was sixteen. <laughs> yeah, that was this career advisors. That was terrible. That was become a terrible an advice. Become an accountant. Um. Yeah. A lot of. I mean, there's a lot of bad advice going around. A lot of bad health advice and stuff like that. A lot of bad. A lot of bad advice in comedy about kind of. Way, what you should do and like how you should go to Edinburgh and follow the kind of norms of the of the industry and try and try and really just follow the flow of the industry and hope that they pick you out yeah. as, as one of the people they choose to be successful. Um that was that was always bad advice. That's bad advice I think a lot of people get and it's bad advice I did follow to yeah. begin with and I think that led to a lot of mental problems that I had at the time mm. because it's just it's it's so destroying. It, it's soul destroying, and it's also it gives other people so much power over what you want. Yeah. Um. It's it's dangerous for your for your psyche because it doesn't matter how much you work or how because there's a lot of obviously the, the, there'll be a lot of people out there who think and, and who say work hard, stay focused, don't give up, and you'll get where you need to be. And it's not true. It's just not the case. There's, there's people out there. There's people out there who work very hard who never succeed. There's people yeah. out there who don't give up who never succeed. You'll just you'll die still trying. Um, and I think that's because they kind of they follow the road that they think is is the right way of doing things instead of trying to think outside the box yeah. a little bit. I'm not saying I'm the most creative person in the world or anything, but I think the, the best. Route. Well, I can't really take full credit for that, but yeah, uh, I, I've gone along a path that is has been quite fortunate and is working quite well at the minute. But I think that's just because I gave, I mean, I suppose giving yourself advice is just to not, not give it too much. Try and be happy is the, is yeah. the main thing. Um, if you're so focused on your career that you're forgetting to be happy or you're thinking, oh, well, I'll just, I'll enjoy my life when I'm 70 yeah. or something. And you're probably doing it. it. You're probably doing it wrong. Um, and you're probably never going to get where you want because, as I said earlier on, um, I think the thing that's allowed me to be good here is the fact that there's no pressure and I yeah. just came back and I just thought, I'll do this because I enjoy it. I don't yeah. want to be that 
big famous comedian. Do you think that's from... why you've had such success? Because there's kind of you come across really, really genuine, and it's like I'll tell you the real things that have happened to me, like the good and the bad. Yeah, and you know, you're not kind of you're not got sharp elbows to move everyone else out of the way so that you can be the best. Do you think that's played a part in your successes that you come across really genuine and humble? Probably not. Well, <laughs> it's probably hindered <laughs> me success of anything. Uh, there's definitely people out there who are higher up than me who have sharper elbows than I do. Um, but I think it it goes a long way for people. People are genu- I mean, I mean, people are genuinely happy that I've got the success yeah. that I've got in comedy. People seem genuinely happy for me, which a lot of people don't care. Yeah, like everybody seems so over the moon that it's happened. And I think it's because I'm. I've never, I've never stepped on anyone to get yeah. where I am. I've never, I, w- I wouldn't, I wouldn't shit on you to take an opportunity. Yeah. Um, I think also as well, it's because I've shunned the industry a little bit. Not shunned it, but I've kind of circumvented it a yeah. little tiny bit, which shows that it can be and done. Put which, all of the onus on following those yeah. steps. That but again, does. I can't take full credit for that. I've got to give. You're going to take some now. I've got, I can take a little bit, but I've got to. Paul Blair should, and Binti Blair take most of the. Paul Blair, so, uh, this is a good story. Paul Blair. As I said earlier, I'm I'm known for being lacking um, any ambition to because I'm happy here. So yeah. like, and that was one of the things I, I kind of found. I'm, I'm a little bit hippie in that respect because I'm just like I'm dead happy doing what I do, and I, I have my little routine. I'm, I, I like a routine in my life. Um, and I was doing this club, and everyone's going, "You should get out there. You can't just play one club. You you like, you're very good. You should need to show everyone how good you are." Like, yeah, but I don't really want to. And Paul, we were out on a night out about. Must be about 18 months ago. And he said, don't you ever want to just... I, I wouldn't mind. I know you're my resident comp here and you, like, we work that well together, but I wouldn't mind if you want to go out and do other things. And I was like, I don't want to go out and do other things. He's like, but don't you want to... Like, you're dead good. Don't you want to be f- bigger or be famous? And I was like, no. And he's like, he said, I'm going to make you famous. Um, and he's just a genius of marketing. So yeah. he just started putting videos on me online and he did. And now he reminds me of that constantly. <laughs> He's never going to let you forget. <laughs> so therefore you're allowed to take some of the credit, but he can take the rest. <laughs> I give him 70% of the credit. <laughs> so for anyone who wanted to be a comedian, a performer of any sort, what, what would be the best advice you could give them then? Um, don't rush. If you're going to do stand-up, it's the same thing happens all the time. And it's really difficult to give new acts advice because you come across as a bit of a prick. But rule number one, move to make stand-up your way. Uh, and rule number two, don't rush. Um, because it's going to take a long time. And if you rush, you're going to get... You, you might rush and get uh, and be good and, and get opportunities, but you're not going to make the most of those opportunities. And you're going to squander them, which is exactly what I did. And it'll be very damaging to you because a lot of people coming into stand up, it's like a dream of theirs to do stand up, or it's a way out of the horrible day job that they don't yeah. like doing. It's a lot of different reasons, but most of them, this is like a lifeline, and you don't want to ruin that. So understand that if you're coming in to do stand up, it's gonna take it's gonna take a few years, and it's gonna be a struggle. You're gonna end up doing hor- like not not very nice gigs above in rooms above pubs in the middle of. Shrewsbury or somewhere, do you know what I mean? On a Tuesday night for no money, it's going to cost you loads of money to get there, and you're yeah. going to get there, and there's going to be four people in the crowd, and the Jack Russell running around you featuring <laughs> me. It's going to, it's going to happen, and you just got to kind of admit that and go, okay, well, this is just part of it. I'm on this road. Let's just see where it takes me, because there's so many acts go who've done like four gigs and go, okay, well, I want to be getting paid work in eighteen months. How do I get to that? And they start emulating other comedians. 
and it's, it just it ends up with a world full of James A. Casters, or yeah. which I'm seeing a lot at the minute, because um, James A. Casters is an incredible comedian. So everyone goes, well, James A. Caster is an incredible comedian. I'll be, a, I'll, I'll, I'll be like a James A. Caster or Bill Baird. There's a million Bill Baird open spots at the minute. There's loads of Louis C.K.'s, the, the Anthony Jeselnik's. There's loads of so it's to be themselves as well and find your own little niche in there. Yeah, just so, just don't rush, and you'll kind of and try. And it's, it's, I'm trying to avoid cliches, but it's impossible. <laughs> just try and enjoy it because it's it's if you don't enjoy it, then. Point. It, 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 you might as well stay in the job you're not already not enjoying because you already don't enjoy the job you're doing so there's no point trying to get a new thing that you're dreaming of doing and not enjoying that as well yeah makes no sense don't replace one shit thing with another yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so if you weren't a comedian what else would you do what would you if you weren't a comedian I think would I would teach primary school, nursery or primary school or be a barber just swilled me <laughs> what <laughs> they're two completely different things I think, I'm either going to be a primary school teacher or a barber. Why? Yeah, well, barbers, I like the kind of chit chatty, snip snip. <laughs> uh, seems fun. The barbers I go to, and the barbers in West Derby Village I go to, called Crew, and they're funny. They're much funnier than I am. Three lads in there, they're just hilarious. Uh, I just laugh me out every time I go in there. They're great. Um, there's those. I, I, I would do that, or I just love. Like I've got a two year old at the minute, and he's just. He's a pain, but like it's like I take him to nursery and then you just see them all in nursery. And I think I'd love to do this. Like it's just great. Like it's just a great thing to do. It just seems so terrible money, and they don't get paid anything near they should get paid. Agreed. Um, but like it's so rewarding. Like I went on a teddy bear teddy bear's picnic the other week. I requested a teddy bear's picnic <laughs> from there. From the, all his teachers come to watch me, which I think is really uncomfortable. All this, like all my two-year-old teachers come to watch me, all my five-year-old teachers come to watch me, and I'm talking That's about a compliment. It is though when I'm talking about wanking and <laughs> my missus being a fat bitch. I tried to sit her down and said I was going to say. Um, he preempted that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to take her for a meal for that one, which is <laughs> probably rubbing it into. <laughs> <laughs> so you've said that in your group of friends you're not the funniest person. So how do you kind of you know if you've been at a gig? People expect you to be funny. Like in the Asda, do you get people coming up to you and saying, yeah. tell me a joke, be funny? Yeah. How does that make you feel? No, it's more take the piss out of me, mate. No. Um, <laughs> it's really horrible. Because <laughs> I'm not, I'm just, I, I'll be pleasant and polite and stuff. I'm quite, I'm quite gentle in real life. Like, so you that, just it, walk up to someone I, and I, I, even, I even refer to the, myself on stage as a different person sometimes, and which makes me sound probably a little bit mentally range but I think we've already determined that to yeah. stand on a stage you've got to be in a yeah. little bit but I think it, he's so I wish I could be him sometimes he's so singularly focused he's so sexually confident and he's just <laughs> he's just he, he's he's just got this aura about him which I don't possess so people meet me in real life and they go and they're always pleasant and polite but like it's just I think you can so see you do take on, you see a little, on stage I think you've got to yeah I think to do that, yeah, to do to do stand up, I think yeah. you've got to. Um, if you can get, I think a lot of people talk about finding your voice, and I think in in reality, what actually happens is you you start so far away from who you are that hopefully somewhere along the line, that stage person and you meet somewhere, somewhere in the somewhere middle, um, on stage. So a lot, he brings a lot of you out on stage, but it's always kind of 
the most confident version of you, the most, the best version of you, if anything. Um, Do you think that's because they youth? Well, you're saying you can't, you can't just be fearful. You've just got to roll with it and whatever will think. be. So you get away with that on stage. Yeah. But you wouldn't be more comfortable doing that. Yeah, you can't. you can't think, and there's no social. There's there's no social convention for that. Like we all understand social conventions. If we were on like a date or whatever, we'd understand social conventions. I couldn't start bringing things up. But if you're in the front row, I'll start talking about what you wear, and I'll start talking. And I wouldn't be horrible. I'm never horrible. No. Which is, some people take. Some people do. I don't understand where people get this from. Like, like people think I, I understand why why people think I take the piss, and I do take the piss a little bit. But I I think I allow answer. people to take the piss out of themselves. Yeah. And then I just roll with it. I'm a facilitator. Of <laughs> you are, and I think that's because you instigate it with yourself as well. You're yeah. a self-deprecating human, and then it's kind of it's all, if I'm doing it, then it's all right for me yeah, to do yeah, it yeah. with you. But yeah, so but you, you can't do that in real life. You can't like I was because I, I say it a few times on stage. Imagine I said this to you in real life. Imagine <laughs> it just really right now in, in an hour's time, we're in out there having a pint, and I say exactly that to you. You'll punch me in the face. <laughs> Has that ever happened? No. Not yet. Nearly. No. <laughs> oh, not nearly. Yeah. So, cool. it, in yeah. the room, someone just taking offence to what in you the, said. In the room, sometimes people... It's more... Usually it's about the drink some, as well. Well, it's, it's not even drink, it's the other stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's... Some people, yes. It, it's very, very rare that it happens, but some people do take a little bit of offence. So, a few quick five questions then, if that's okay. Yeah, it's Who fine. is or was your biggest influence? I haven't got one. Terrible question. Well, thank you for the feedback. <laughs> Julie noted, fuck you very much. <laughs> Where will you be in five years' time? Um, here, hopefully. I, I mean, I genuinely mean that. That sounds like a crappy thing to say. But I hope, I, I hope, if I'm still hosting Hot Water Comedy Club regularly and having fun with it, then, and people are still coming and still enjoying it and people are still watching. Um, I'm enjoying the little tour. Well, quite it's a not big a tour. tour. <laughs> but yeah, if I can still do a tour every year and just get to a couple of other cities, I've... 20 dates a year, I'd be happy. Um, yeah, just exactly what's happened it. this year. If I can repeat that for the rest of my life, then I'll be a super happy guy. Best gig? Best gig ever was probably that first one at the Echo Arena the other day. Yeah. Yeah, I got, I got very emotional at the end of that gig. Really? Yeah. I've never felt that many people. Yeah, and it wasn't like a... It was almost... The, the only thing I can, I can kind of equate it to is... Maybe if you've got kids, you've got kids. Yeah, you know the first time you see a kid and you have that cry where you go, oh, and it comes from nowhere, and you go, yeah. oh, and it's a horrible, like, snot cry. It's an ugly cry. Yeah, it's an ugly cry, but it comes out of no. Like, you, normally when you're going to start crying, you feel it, you're going to start crying, yeah. you go, oh, and you get a lump in your face, oh, my God, you're going to start crying, you try and stop yourself crying. This cry comes from nowhere. It kind of felt like that, but I, like I, didn't, I didn't cry, but it was just, it, was, that, it wasn't quite to the same level as that, but it was almost that. It was just like that, because I got a stand innovation at the end of it, oh, and wow. it was just like goosebumpy like uh, uh and i had to come out and i just had to, I had to just like take a little breath because it was like can decompress yeah it was weird it was weird but then I, I, it was, it's such people think i've got the show but it's like like half an hour an hour later i was in my house having a cup of tea with me with me little lad that stayed up and i had my dog on my knee so i had my two-year-old and he was like what did you do i was like making all the people laugh and he was like don't care let's play with trains and i was <laughs> I like care. just humbles you Completely, like, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you've been doing. Does Nothing it? can humble you like a child. No, no. Worst gig? Worst gig ever was uh, So You Think You're Funny semi final 2000 and 2006. Uh, first time I ever died. American crowd, been on a bus for 11 hours, got there, 
got on stage, realised all my jokes are about Liverpool and no Americans would understand that. Oh. About a minute in and I was just absolutely hooping it. And there was a programme, do you ever, do you ever used to watch a sci-fi programme called Babylon 5? Yes. Oh my God. I remember the woman out of Babylon 5, the really good looking woman with the tattoos under her. Yeah. She's in the crowd and I just see this look of, hot, I get, going back to the whole pity thing, this look of absolute, like, like she wanted to put me out of my misery, oh. like mercy kill me. <laughs> like, and I, I can still see her face now, just like, oh, just this awful. And it was my, like, there was nothing I could do to get it back. And I'd stand there for 10 minutes and just go through the motions. Oh. And like, I'd put so much kind of like, ah, I'm going to win this, I'm going to win this. And I just, as soon as I got on stage, I was like, yeah, you're not winning this. Uh, yeah. And it, it was all right, though. I went outside. I met Richard Herring outside, which was wow. dead nice. Richard Herring, Keith Carter, a guy called Stanley McHale, a few people outside, and I knew Keith. And I was, he was like, you're all right. And I said, mate, I've just had the worst gig in my life. And Keith was like, oh, you're all right. He's like, what happened? I went, so you think you've won it? And I told him what happened. And Richard Herring said, no, you should do. Get a T-shirt made with all of the uh, all of the pictures of all the judges on and then kill yourself. <laughs> And it made me laugh, and he was like, "Come on, you be alright." That's what you needed. Yeah, got me a pint, and it was fine. Everything's fine when you've got a pint. It was fine, yeah. But yeah, that that was the worst, worst gig I've ever had. The biggest shock to the system. Yeah. Do you think that's what it was? It wasn't so much that it was the worst gig. It was that. Yeah. It totally was unexpected. That first death because you're not expecting it. You don't know what to expect after that. You've got a frame of reference then, but until it happens the first time, no matter who it is. No matter how good or bad of a comedian you you are, everybody thinks they're going to be that guy who never dies. Everybody thinks they're going to be that guy who just, oh, comedy's obviously dead easy. And everyone else just isn't as good as me. Um, But everybody dies. Everybody dies. And you've done yours, so hopefully it won't. Definitely. Oh, I'll die again. I'll die again. Are you prepared for it if it happens? Yeah. I won't die as badly. You'll know what to react. It's fallen with style now. Fallen with style. I like that. So, what's one thing, or either a question you've always wanted someone to ask you and no one ever has, or something you want everyone to know but no one's ever given you the opportunity to tell? Um, I've always wanted someone to ask me. Something you've always wanted to tell people but you've never had the opportunity. It's never been came up I'm in conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's a really, that's a really tough question. No, I can't think. No questions. I think I've been asked everything. I'm a very open person. Yeah, that's so. definitely the way it's come across. So I absolutely love your comedy. I am like a proper Gale fan. Thank you. Geek. Love the Hot Water Comedy Club. But I want to know for people who are listening, maybe not heard of you before, who want to find out a little bit more about you, want to know where your tour is, what, how they can get hold of you, get more of your comedy. Yeah. How do they do it? Um, best ways to do it is if you want to see me live, go on hotwatercomedy.co.uk. Um, all, the tickets, all the shows are on there. Um, if you click on I'm, I'm, I'll, most of the shows, and if there's a be a picture of me, if you click on that picture, that's got all my tour dates. Uh, if you want to see any of the videos, we've got a YouTube channel. Uh, we've got a Facebook. I've got a Facebook page, Paul Smith Comedy. There's a hot water, a live a hot water comedy page, which has got not only me but like loads of fantastic com- comedians on there. Um, yeah, that's the best way. Instagram at Paul is the Joker, Twitter at Paul is the Joker. But as I say, I don't tweet it up. Probably don't follow me on Twitter. <laughs> but follow me on Instagram. I'll put some funny pictures on Instagram. Um, yeah, that's about it. Thank you so much for your time. Really Thank enjoyed you. it. Cheers. Yeah, it's been nice.